Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing... It's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip, post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code FREE, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code FREE. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code FREE. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors, LLC, and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, a quick note to start this episode. This one went a lot longer than I was expecting. Um, and so this is actually broken up into two episodes that so we'll be dropping on the same day. But Levi, as those of you guys have listened to him before or listened to him over it on his Iowa State podcast, he can talk. Um, and it's a lot of really good information. I want to make sure you guys got all of it. Uh, and rather than trying to have a super long hour and a half long episode um, or, you know, try to break this up into a ton of different chunks or do bonuses or anything like that, I just went ahead and made it two separate episodes. Um, so there is a break here and I'll be back to kind of end the episode here for you um, at the end. But we will, uh, you know, there, there's no music today with, with the changes to the podcast that I'm sure you guys have seen announced over on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm changing things up right now. So there's no music to start off the podcast. I will be bringing something new uh, once I get this settled over here, over at Anchor. So enjoy. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mitz. Today, we are previewing uh, the next opponent on our list, which um, actually may end up being the second game on the schedule, depending on what's going on here and what the Big 12 actually decides. But uh, this, is the, uh, this is the preview for the Iowa State Cyclones. To help me preview them, I have Levi Stevenson uh, from over at uh, Wide Right Natty Light. Levi, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's always an adventure when you're on the podcast because we always seem to somehow get derailed and go into completely wild tangents. Before we do that, though, this is the first official episode of the podcast since we uh, kind of went off and did our own thing. For those of you guys, listen, I had a quick update. It was just like a couple minutes, kind of talking about what's happening. Um, we can get more into what's going on there because I don't want to derail this this uh, preview, but. The you know the the most important thing is that this is now an independent podcast. It's no longer part of the Rock Chalk Talk podcast network. We'll still kind of talk about stuff that happens over Rock Chalk Talk because I'm still 
writing for them. But uh, this is now completely independent. So definitely look forward to some of the new, new changes that are gonna be coming over the next month or so. Um, we're gonna be able to do a lot, I think a lot more fun stuff that I wasn't able to do before. But back to the task at hand, Levi. Um, obviously Iowa State last year, it was kind of an up and down season. Um, got started off and it was, a, <laughs> to be honest, like it was, it, it was kind of rough for those that were expecting Iowa State to really be doing something and competing at the top of the Big 12 last year. Um, had some issues in the non-conference that, that I, I mean, um, you know, potentially could have made it a little, a little curious for those that were paying attention, but then the team kind of seemed to, to come on strong overall. What would you say last season was like for Iowa state fans? Did they kind of hit expectations? Did they fall short of what you guys were expecting them to do? Um, I think pretty much any Iowa state fan would tell you that it was that they fell short, uh, that team underachieved. Part of it was due to luck. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to even hide it. Part of it was due to luck. I mean, if you look at any metric where just the, the way the ball bounced, some, a lot of times just didn't go Iowa State's way. And you can tell that because if you look at a lot, pretty much any advanced metric you can find, Baylor and Iowa State were almost identical teams. Um, one team got a lot of lucky bounces. One team got none. And the one ended up 11-1 and one and in the Big 12 title game. And the other one ended up 7-5 and five and in the Camping World Bowl. Um, and so I think and I want to I want to ask you about that because I think part of it too though was that Baylor's defense was a lot more consistent I think last year than Iowa State's was and and Baylor, Baylor was, was better be... Baylor's defense was definitely better especially like on third and long type situations where they made they made stops that they needed to um, so they were they were, like their defense was more more clutch in certain situations performance like performance wise metric wise they weren't terribly different. Um, especially when you look at team metrics as a whole, as far as like expected points and stuff like that and yards per play and things like that, uh, or yards per play differentials and things along those lines. Uh, They're extremely similar. Iowa state's offense was better than Baylor's, but Baylor's defense was a little bit better than Iowa state's. So it's, it it, it washed out to where you had almost two identical teams. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I, I definitely saw a lot of that. I think that was the thing that jumped out to me most from Baylor though, is that like their defense is a lot better than expected. And, and I'm guessing part of that was just kind of rooted in expectations, but Iowa state was supposed to have, you know, far and away. Well, other than maybe TCU was, was supposed to have the best defense in the big 12 last year. And it just didn't happen. Um, and, yeah, and there's I mean, a, there's a few like, different, there's a few different reasons for that. There were some key, there were some pretty key injuries um, that happened. Um, Specifically, Jaquan Bailey going down early in the year did not help. I mean, preseason Big Twelve Player, of the Defensive Player of the Year goes down in like the third game. Um, that doesn't help. Your pass rush go, it gets worse. Um, and then Greg Eisworth sure. was was in and out a lot of the year too, and he's he's kind of the linchpin of this whole defense and how it works. And when you're not when you're missing Greg Eisworth, you're missing a really really crucial piece. Um, really the linchpin and, and some of the corners didn't maybe they didn't progress as maybe as quickly as we were hoping that they would. Um, but there's a few key injuries, but there was definitely some times where it, it just didn't work. Um, I can tell you that I know a lot of people thought that Ray Lima fell below expectations last year because his junior year, he was really, really good. Probably the, probably the best nose tackle in the entire conference. Um, and one of the most underappreciated players, just one of the most underappreciated defensive linemen in the country. Um, he had a really, really good junior season. The senior season, he didn't, um, he didn't live up to expectations. He, uh, he didn't, he didn't hold his run gaps as well. He was basically a non-factor in the pass rush. So when you, in, you know, the, the, the heart of that defense of Iowa state's defense lies in the middle. It's the nose tackle, the middle linebacker, and then the ro- the roving safety. So that's right. 
Ray Lima. That's last year was a Ryan Vance, but the year before it was Mike Rose and then Greg Eisworth. And when you lose Greg Eisworth, that's a huge piece you're missing. You're missing your pass rush. One of your pass rush threats off the edge with Jaquan Bailey. And then Ray Lima doesn't play up to your expectations. That's you lose a couple key pieces there. So um, certainly the defense, I think, underperformed. I think it was more so <clears throat> they were very correctable. It was a, it was correctable reasons that they underperformed. Um, where it wasn't it wasn't a personnel issue from a like lack of talent. Like it was it was injuries and someone and a couple of people didn't performing up. It wasn't the performing up to the way we know that they can play. So right, it, it's it's tricky. So so I guess it really kind of begs the question then: What do you expect to be different this year? And obviously, there's like a bunch of kind of off the field issues that could potentially, you know, change that this year, but just looking at personnel, who's going to be back, you know, maybe, um, you know, who, who, especially those that had injuries that will be back this year. Like, what are you expecting to be different this year um, for how the defense is going to perform? And, and like, I think that that ultimately is going to end up playing out on the field for their so, performance. So specific, specific to the defense, um, you're going to see some new personnel in the defensive line. You're going to see a more dynamic defensive line, I think. Uh, one of the big changes that you'll see is Eni Wazirike, who has been one of Iowa State's better pass rushers the last couple of years. He is now up to 315 pounds and will probably move inside to a nose tackle. He would be, that'd be an absurd. He's like 6'7", too. He'd be like 6'7", 310-pound defensive end. It would be crazy. But he'll be, uh, he'll be a, he'll probably move inside, be sort of, I don't know if he'll play like a nose tackle spot so much as he will be kind of a rush defense, like a rush tackle. Um, so you'll see him move inside. It wouldn't shock me to see them move Mike Rose back inside to play his more natural position. Last year he was good, um, but he wasn't as he wasn't as effective on the outside as he was his freshman year playing middle linebacker. So I could see him potentially moving back inside. Um, having Greg Eisworth, a fully healthy Greg Eisworth back, is going to be huge. Um, that secondary should be pretty good. Anthony Johnson is a, is a good corner. He's he's a good young corner. Um, and he should be able to make some steps forward. Tavon Kyle really came on towards the end of last year at the other corner spot. Daytron Young's been here for a while. Um, they've got good talent, uh, especially at the at corner and safety spots. Secondary should be pretty good. Um, if the defensive line can return to being productive where you can count on a three-down set to kind of hold your front and generate a little bit of pass rush on its own, um, you're, then the defense will be fine. Uh, the nice thing is that they've got – a lot of a lot of athleticism because one player that came on late in the year uh, was Will McDonald. He did a lot of damage against, especially late in the year against against Texas, and he did some damage against Kansas too, um, and a few other in a few other schools. Or earlier in the year, he was hampered a little bit because he was kind of playing out of position at an outside linebacker spot, where he was playing a true outside linebacker instead of kind of a rush, a rush in kind of like a Von Miller type. Because um, in that in that in like a Von Miller Khalil Mack type, where you're playing kind of a stand up rush end. Um, that's where Will McDonald can be really, really, really good. Um, he, and he showed that against Texas. He had, uh, I can't remember, he had three or four sacks or something like that against Texas. And he, if you go back and watch the film, he should have had probably like six or seven because he got held on the legit, like legit holdings on like the other three. Because they just could not, they couldn't deal with his speed at all. They just can't. And I think they, I think the coaching staff saw that, and I think they're going to find a way to get him on the field and be a really, really dynamic pass rusher from whether it be from the edge or, or coming up through the A-gap or something like that. I think um, there's a lot of really talented pass rushers on this unit now that I think they're going to be uh, switching some more stuff up and, and adding in more pass rush wrinkles 
um, into this defense. And I think um, you'll see a more disciplined defense that should be able to perform much, much better on third on third down type of situations. Cause I was, that was kind of what their bugaboo last year uh, was third down and especially third down and long for whatever reason, they would almost always lose contain on the quarterback and the quarterback would just pick up eight yards on a scramble on third down for no reason at all. Um, but I would, I'm expecting that to be cleaned up a little bit. That was, that was, that's uncharacteristic of, of the, of the John Haycock defense. So I, yeah, I, I, I think say, you're going to see, I, I seem to remember that quite a bit with Kansas playing against Iowa State last year. Oh, Kansas did yeah, it, Texas did it. Um, Iowa, yeah. Nate Stanley, the most one of the most immobile quarterbacks I've ever seen, picked up a long, like a third and 12 or something like that late in the Iowa I was in the Seahawk game. It happened to a, a, a bunch, it gets a bunch of different teams. Baylor got a few of them, or they got like third and 18s or something like that, and they picked it up. Um, they were they were bad on third down, third especially third and long last year, where they, they just seemed to lose focus because they just assumed that they were going to stop them on third and 18. Um, I would expect yeah. to see. I would expect to see a much more focused defense that is now fully aware that that's a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, and I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna see a much more polished defense next year. So, so we've talked quite a bit about the defense. I do want to switch over kind of to the offense. Um, yeah. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast, and we're back. Okay, so obviously, like the you know the calling card for Iowa State last year has been a very very good defense. Um, and last year, we, we, we kind of talked about those struggles and how we're expecting it to improve. But last year as well, like there, there was a lot of expectations, I think, for this offense with, uh, with Brock Purdy coming back, um, yep. you know, and, and um, kind of all of that. Well, I mean, he, he kind of broke out the year before, and I think the expectation was they were going to take a step forward. And it just didn't seem to happen. Um, now, granted, that could be a lot of different reasons why it ended up that way. But what were the real problems that they had on offense? Because they had lots of lots of cold spells at times. Um, I, I guess really the best way to describe them is that they were very up and down all year last year. So what, what were the reasons for that inconsistency and what is going to change this year that you think might prevent that from happening again? Well, a couple of things. So there were, there was a little bit of inconsistency where some, where some quarters they did like Baylor, the Baylor game is a great example. The first two or three quarters, they were kind of cold. They couldn't really, they were having troubles with the ball. And then the fourth quarter, they turned down and they all of a sudden they're Oklahoma whatever. And, uh, but to go to the overarching point that you mentioned before, they actually did take a pretty dramatic step forward. It was, it was the best offense in school history by a, a mile and a half. Um, well, Brock Purdy said that was the, the UL Monroe game. <laughs> uh, not, not much. If you look at the rest of the, if you look at the rest of the season, um, they still performed, they were the, I think they were, they finished 10th or 12th in the country in yards per play, which the previous season, they even with Hakeem Butler and Dave Montgomery, they finished like in the fifties. Last season, without either of them, they finished like 12th. Um, the offense was significantly more explosive. It was more consistent, um, moved the ball really well. Uh, if you look, there was there was times where they did have trouble finishing out drives, so the points didn't always show up on the board, but they always, but they outgained their opponent in like eight or nine games or something like that. Like they almost always outgained their opponent. I think they outgained Oklahoma when we played in, when we played in Norman. I'm pretty sure we outgained Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's right. Um, yeah, I think it wasn't by just a little bit. I think it was like by 50 or 60 yards. Um, well, I'm going to be honest. They they really should have won that game in Norman. They should have. And, 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 and stuff like that. it just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And, and, you know, there was a tough call in the end zone that should have gone that way. But that's what they, but they'll look back on the play and they'll see Charlie Kohler was wide open sitting at the goal line. He caught it. They win the game. Uh, if, if Brock throws it to him, he still he threw it to an open enough receiver and it was still, I would very much argue, it was pass interference. But – 
that type of play next season, guarantee you it goes to Charlie Kohler every time. Um, they that they find that Brock Purdy will find that throw next time. Um, but anyways, the, but the to get back to the you know overall, I mean the offense moved the ball light years better than any other offense in school history. Not even close. You know, the year two years ago, we saw you know you had, you had Keem Butler and Dave Montgomery, and we had you know, two of the best skill position players in the entire conference, and they were like fortieth, fiftieth in in uh, yards per play, very kind of middle of the road. Um, but last year they were like tenth for, for most of the season. They were like in the top five. Where they were, there was a really, it was a really good offense last year. Actually, some there's a couple times where they didn't finish out drives as well as they needed to, but for the most part, the offense did take a pretty significant step forward, which was a little bit surprising given who they lost. You know, losing Dave Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, two of you know probably two of the five or six best skill position players in the history of the school. Um, yeah, well, and actually, that kind of ties into the next point that I wanted to talk about because brief hall i think was a really really big reason for them he was absolutely he was um you know he honestly he kind of came out of nowhere last year um Uh, you know well i I should say for those that don't follow iowa state really closely he kind of came out of nowhere you know if if you if you don't pay attention to recruiting very much then yes absolutely totally came out of nowhere but he was he was an he was an army all-american he was a top 10 running back for pretty much the entire recruiting cycle if you're into recruiting and, and especially being from wichita that like if you're if you're paying attention to recruiting and he, and he was a big uh kansas state went after him pretty hard um i think iowa actually offered him too so like if you're if you pay attention to recruiting or recruiting the big 12 in general you probably at least heard his name but yes but you're but you're, you are correct though that just for the average art you know the average college football fan probably kind of came out of nowhere well, and I'm, I'm going to be completely honest, you know, I, Iowa State has not built up the reputation of the program where there are... Yeah, you're not going to get lots of people paying attention to, from the outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if he ends up going to Iowa State, it immediately, in a lot of people's eyes, maybe wonder, like, wh- why didn't he go to a bigger program? Um, and I mean, unless he's just absolutely lighting it up. For for example, Puka Williams, when he came to Kansas, like, there was a lot of people that talked about his, you know, blazing speed on his college tape, but there was concerns about his ability, you know, his size and his ability to be able to run in a in a high major type of program um you know and he's he's kind of for kansas has kind of taken um a lot of the a lot of the the country or even the conference by storm just because you know they weren't aware of what he was able to do and he's put up consistently big numbers and brief hall last year i think set himself up to be that similar sort of type of player and you know i think think a lot of the big the big 12 coaches knew who he was um i think the the main thing with with brees is that the, the main concern would be is that he's got he's he's good speed he's faster than David by a step a full step or or better he's faster than mm-hmm. David I and I mean I'll go I mean I'll go on the record right now and say he's more talented than David he's his his ceiling is significantly higher than David's um, but he he's he's a drill threat guy the main thing is he's not like ultra mega shifty where he's going to like make a whole bunch of people miss kind of like Puka or like David did or like kind of like Puka does. Um, he's not that kind of running back. So you, so you always are like when you have that kind of running back, you're always going to ask yourself, okay, he's not, he's, he's breaking lots of tackles in high school, but can he, can he make enough people missing? Can he break enough tackles in college to continue his production? And that was kind of the main concern with Brees Cause he's more of an upright type of runner where he's like a, um, if you, well, if you're looking just at just pure running styles, not comparing talent, pure running styles, he runs a lot like Adrian Peterson does, where he's kind of a big one cut guy, has a really nice, um, when he wants to turn on the Jets, he can really turn it on, makes nice one cuts, can power through guys, can make guys miss, 
Um, but he's really good at, at finding places to run and making a cut, hitting a hole, and then, and then bursting through, kind of like Adrian Peterson used to run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, like, if you're looking for a standout guy, someone you're expecting to really carry this this offense moving forward, I, like, I don't, I don't know if it's well. I, I want your opinion on this because I think that the offensive production is going to be a lot more on Brees' shoulders this year than it is a guy like Brock Purdy. Maybe I'm, I'm missing something. Is there, is there, is there any any kind of clear indication of where? Most of the offensive production is going to come from, or is it going to need to be really balanced for them to be successful this year? Well, last year, well, last year, part of the reason it took such a huge step forward is because it was extremely balanced. There was b- multiple games where Brock was hitting eight, nine, ten receivers in a game, um, where they were registering catches. Because you've got last year, you had Michael Petway and Landon Akers and Tashante Jones and Tariq Milton and Joe Skates and Sean Shaw, and Charlie Kohler, Dylan Sane, or Chase Allen. Like all of these guys catching, like being like significant targets in the passing game. All of them being heavily involved in the passing game um, in, instead of, you know, find who you can, but otherwise just chuck it to Hakeem. It worked because Hakeem Butler was a really good receiver. Um, but, you know, that's a good way for offense or for defenses to kind of key on you, on you is when you have one definite guy you go to all the time. Whereas last year they, you know, you didn't have that one dude that like drew a whole bunch of attention on the defense. Um, so you had to, they had to pay attention to everybody Everybody that wasn't a lineman, you had to pay attention to because they could definitely get the ball, including Brees. Brees had a really good receiving, a good, really good season as a receiver. Um, and he's, he has a very talented guy where you can, if they wanted to, they honestly could split him out in the slot or something like that. And he'd be a very good slot receiver. Um, but that, and that, that's kind of the beauty of this coming into next se- of this, this next coming season too, is there's lots of, there's weapons all over the place, you know, Obviously, Brock is, Brock is very good at distributing the ball, finding guys. He like he has some guys he likes in certain situations. He likes to find the tight ends on third down. Last year, he liked to find LaMichael Petway on third down. Um, so he'll have those guys that he goes to when he needs to find, just when he needs to get 10 yards, he goes to these guys. Every quarterback's got those. But you still have to pay attention to all three of those tight ends, plus two more. They want all five be on the field at the same time, obviously. But just personnel-wise, Easton Dean and Skyler Loving Black, those are two guys you're going to want to know because as soon as Charlie, if Char, I'm, I'm assuming Charlie Kohler will leave at the end of the season. So when Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen, and Dylan Sainer are gone after this season, Skyler Loving Black and Easton Dean will both step in and probably in the tight end room won't won't miss a beat. Um, because they're every, every bit as talented as the, as the three in front of them. Um, but then you've got those guys. You've still got Brees in the passing game. You've, now you'll have probably Jarrell Brock. Is, is the, he'll be the backup running back. He still he can definitely catch balls out of the backfield. You've still got Tariq Milton. You've still got Landon Akers. You've still got Sean Shaw. Now you have to deal with Xavier Hutchinson, which was a very very highly lauded uh, JUCO receiver. I did a film room. I did a film study on him a couple weeks ago, and when I watched him, he is a complete package. You can put him anywhere on the field. His talent is he gets open. That's what he does. He's, he's quick. He's a good route runner. Whether it's deep or short routes, he can run after the catch. He does everything you need him to do. Um, that's a guy that will get the ball quite a bit this coming season. Um, there's there's weapons all over the field, and Brock Purdy does a really good job of finding all of them. Um, and he's accurate. He's poised. He's a, And one other big thing that I think got lost a little bit in the shuffle last year is that Brock was playing on two bad angles. So if, after the, basically after the TCU game, he didn't really hardly run at all. He was basically a non-running threat. Team still respected it because you, you you have to, um, right. but for the most part, he was basically a non-threat in the running game because he had bad ankles. Um, well, his ankles are healthy now, <laughs> um, so you can reintroduce Brock into the running game. That's, I mean, they'll still take care of him to make sure he doesn't re-injure them, but 
Uh, it's not like a Steph Curry situation where you're concerned about the health of the ankle going forward. It's not like that. But um, when you're running so on... Sorry. Well, so kind of talking about the what, what all they've had and all the different weapons, um, I guess my main question, because I haven't followed Iowa State as closely as, sure. as well, obviously as, as, as KU, but some of the other sure. teams in the, in the conference as well. Yeah. What, what are they actually missing from last year? And, and what are they bringing in to kind of replace what's lost? It, it doesn't seem to me like they're, they're losing a lot of their pieces from last year, but I'm not sure who all was contributing last year that was a senior that had to move on. So the, the main ones that moved on were Deshante Jones and LaMichael Petway. Those are the main two that you lose, um, which those guys ate up a lot of targets. Um, fortunately, there's guys stepping in that will be able to eat those targets. Tariq Milton is ready-made to slide into that Deshante Jones spot, and he's faster than Deshante, so he can he can continue to be kind of a, a deep threat guy. He averaged like 20, 21 yards a catch last year. He'll probably That'll probably go down, but his catches will go up. Um, but Sean Shaw really came on. He's, a, he's the next big, tall tree um, he's six. Oh, he's all of six six, maybe closer to six seven. He's a little bit taller than Hakeem, Hakeem Butler was. Um, so he's kind of they, they'll use him just like they used Hakeem and Alan Lazard. Um, you've got plenty of talent. Xavier Hutchinson's a guy that they can stick all over the field. He's like six two, six three. Um, you'll you'll they'll put him all over the place. He'll he'll get playing targets. You've still got the tight ends. Your skill positions, the ones you got, the guys you did lose at the skill positions are easily replaceable, and you get everybody else back. The entire offensive, the ceiling of the offense revolves around the offensive line, who the who the new and how the new guys play out. Because you lose Julian Good Jones, who was a left tackle, started every single game in his college career. You lose Josh Kniffel, who was the right guard, and you lose Bryce Meeker, who was the right tackle. Um, now, call it fortunate or whatever you want to call it. Um, not fortunate. Um, Matt Campbell has done a good job of building up depth within the offensive line room throughout his career, and. Offensive line takes a lot longer to develop and to build depth in than a lot of other positions because high school guys, receivers can come in, running backs, even quarterbacks can come in, and they can have success right away. Um, it's a lot easier. It's a little bit easier transition because the physical transition isn't as big. But offensive line, being a 280 pound offensive lineman in high school and being a 300 pound offensive lineman in college, two totally different ball games. Um, cause you're in high school, 280 pounds, you're probably tall fat. Um, you're, you're probably, it's probably, you're a fat 280 as opposed to being a muscular 280. But once you spend a year or two in a college weight room, now you're a muscular 300. And that's a huge, huge, huge body transformation that has to go on. You have to, you, it, the, the physical change from high school to college is bigger for off for the offensive line than any other position. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and and also, like that's the hardest one as well because you have to build that that rapport between right. Like, the guy yep, you line. have to build chemistry, all of that. So it t- it just takes the longest. So that's the one that always lags behind the improvement everywhere else. Because like everywhere else in Iowa State's team is like if you if you look at the everywhere else, if you look at well even on the offensive line, if you look at the overall talent level of this team as opposed to like Paul Rhodes' last team, it's not even close. <laughs> it's just not even in the same universe. Um, yeah. But this offensive line, so you lose Julian Good-Jones, you lose Bryce Meeker. Josh Kniffel was a, was a good lineman. He's a loss. Um, but you are replacing, in my opinion, and in the prevailing opinion of a lot of people that kind of really know football, you're replacing experience with talent. The guys that were in there, Julian Good-Jones, he played a lot of games. Played a lot of games at a bunch of different positions. He played center, he played some guard, he played tackle for the last couple of years of his career. Um, played a lot of games, experienced sometimes good, um, a lot of times frustrating. Uh, Bryce, Bryce Meeker, kind of a low ceiling, mid 
you know, medium low floor kind of guy. He's going to, he, he'll show up to work. He'll kind of do his job and that's about it. He doesn't really do anything. Josh Kniffel was a good lineman. Um, he'll need to be replaced, but the two, your two best linemen, which is Trevor Downing and um, Colin Newell will both come back on the interior of your line. Um, those are two of your more promising ones. Then you have a few guys coming in. There'll be new guys, but they are very, very talented. They just need to get snaps. Joey Ramos will definitely be one of the starters at tackle, whether it's left or right tackle. Could could be either one. Um, there's another guy, Grant Treber, he or Triber, depending on how you want to pronounce it. He's a was a high, uh, well-recruited guy out of South Dakota. That's a um, he's a very talented guy. He'll probably play one of the, he'll probably play the other tackle, whichever one is not filled by Ramos. Um, and then you'll have probably big big Rob Hudson. He is <laughs> I, last time I checked, he was he's six eight three thirty, and he'll probably be playing as a guard. Um, oh my gosh! Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say we'll have some we'll have some size up front. And if those guys, the quicker those guys can gel, the higher the ceiling goes. Either way, no matter what, day one they are more talented than the line last year. Um, and how far they can take the offense, we'll see. Um, I would expect by midseason they're probably looking like a fairly solidified line. Um, and I think that's that's going to be a huge key. And I think one of the things that one of the honestly probably the biggest thing that happened this offseason within the program not including covid or anything like that obviously 2020 right. offseason is ridiculous but within the yeah, program we'll get to that. yeah um within the program we're going to look back in a few years and look back at the defining moment of this offseason was when um Matt Campbell hired a new strength coach when they hired uh Dave Andrews when they fired Rudy Wade and hired Dave Andrews um everything that i've heard so far is that even even though the players have not been able to be in the living room or not in the weight room, they've been working on their living rooms and in their backyards and stuff like that, that the improvements that the guys have made, even doing that stuff has been really substantial. Um, that even that the improvements they've made at home are greater than the improvements that guys had been making in the weight room under the previous strength coach. Um, oh, that's and obviously once they can get them all in the weight room, things can take off. Um, it's, it's, better training it's more effective training um and i think we're going to look back and that that will one that will help the offensive line develop and uh perform earlier um by having a proper strength because i think what they saw against when we played notre dame they saw the difference between an iowa state and a notre dame is not the skill position players iowa state can can hang with notre dame at the skill positions it's the line the the offensive defensive lines uh, is where you really see the that's where the gap that's where the, that's where the separation occurs between an Iowa State and a Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's offensive line was significantly more they're they're more talented, significantly more talented, and they were more they were stronger, they were more athletic, they could do more. And I think and they just got, obviously just got dominated in the trenches that whole game, which is why that game did not go well. Um, well, to be honest, like that's that that was kind of the same thing with a team like um, Kansas State last year, like. Mm-hmm they surprised a lot of people because their offensive line was heads and tails above the rest of their team. And, you know, they had that talent because that was the one thing Bill Snyder was still really good at doing despite right. all of his other failings was, you know, recruiting offensive linemen and, and Chris Kleinman was able to come in and really take advantage of that right away. Right. And so like Kansas had the exact same problem. They were completely dominated on the lines. I think everywhere else they were probably comparable, if not maybe better at certain positions, but the line advantage for the, for the Wildcats was so big. And, and I, State ran into the same issue against Kansas State in the finale there is that the line really just 
this really kind of stops Iowa State from doing what it was they wanted to do. And so hearing yeah. that, you know, they're, and now, they're I will say that a lot offensively, is... um, Dylan Sainer was missing from that game, and he is a huge, huge, huge linchpin in the running game because um, he is your oh, yeah, fullback, he's your fullback <laughs> H-back type of guy. Uh, Dylan Sainer, for anyone who doesn't know who Dylan Sainer is, he's kind of an H-back tight end kind of guy, but he's 6'8", 300, 6'8", 310, 320. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. no, he's not. So he's like 6'8", 280, 290, and he runs like a receiver. Um, he's their, he's kind of their, their lead running blocker. He's a terrifying human being. Um, he is a huge part of the success of the Iowa state running game. And by not having him against Kansas state was a massive blow. Yeah, I bet. I mean, that sounds like it would be. And I mean, but, but I mean, it, I think the, 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 the lines was, yeah. was a huge, the line was, the line was overmatched in almost every game. Not, not like in at least half of the games, the line was was uh, was overmatched. They were, um, yeah. and that's and that's the that's the problem that hire that they wanted to fix by hiring a new strength coach because the 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 talent is was was there, but the you could tell that they were just not as strong. They just weren't. They could not compete athletically or strength wise. They couldn't compete with Notre Dame. And yeah, I, Matt Campbell wants to take Iowa State to be able to compete with a Notre Dame or something like that. So you have to build that. Um, you have got the talent in the. You've already got the talent in the offensive line room. Now you need to develop that. And part of the reason that Iowa has had so much so much success, they just recruit some. They just recruit a, a sneaky, athletic farm boy, or whatever. And but they, you know, they had Chris they had Chris Doyle, who, despite you know all of his other stuff, is was considered essentially the best strength and conditioning coach in the country because he could take any podunk lineman and turn him into a freaking NFL first round pick. And which shows you the it shows you the impact of strength and conditioning coaches. And Iowa State made that change to really take a step up in that area. So I think we're going to look back on that and say um, that that was probably honestly the, the turning point for what if if Iowa State jumps the next couple seasons and say we jump from a you know on the edge of contending to full on contender every year type of thing, we're going to look back and say that's why. Um, but when you have these young guys in there now that are going to be coming in, there's going to be at least three new starters on there, and they're going to be young. Um, it, it bodes well for the future because Trevor Downing is just a redshirt sophomore, and Colin Newell is also a redshirt sophomore. And you'll have a bunch of redshirt freshmen coming in, or sorry, redshirt sophomores. Uh, and or actually, Trevor Downing will be a true or a true junior, maybe. Either way, um, it's a fairly young line that will have at least at least two full seasons to play completely together. And by having that new strength and condition coach, the new program, they will help those young linemen progress much more quickly than they would have under the previous uh, strength coach. So I, the offense should, there's no reason the offense shouldn't be every bit as good as it was last year. Um, but it has a chance to be better if the offensive line improves like I think it will. Yeah. So, all right. So um, I do kind of want to talk about some of the other developments and obviously kind of look at the schedule. Um, and how that's potentially yeah. changed. Before we do that, I need to throw it to one more quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. And that's going to be it for this first episode here, the first part. Um, we will have another episode again dropping today that will have the rest of our conversation with Levi uh, talking about the schedule and the other tangents that we kind of got off to when I had just anticipated coming back for one quick final segment to wrap it up. So um, if you guys haven't already, please go out, go out. Um, wherever you get your podcast, I'm not sure exactly where this is right now uh, with the transition over to Anchor. I'm still working on getting distributed things like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those different ones that we have had previously. Uh, but it will be there shortly. Keep an eye out for that. 
make sure that you're following the the Twitter page uh, at Rock Chalk Pod. If you have any questions, you can email me at Miss. Mid, I'm sorry. Uh, you can email me at rockchalkpodcast@gmail.com. But uh, that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back with you guys again later today. Like I said, uh, you'll probably be able to listen to these back to back. But uh, we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.